Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Gigam 24-7 Sports Podcast. I am Andrew Hattersley, joined by Carter Carls. Carter, we got a lot to get through today, a little spring practice, which got underway on Monday. Texas A&M basketball saw their season come to an end last week, Thursday, but we'll chat a little bit as they now head into an important offseason, looking to build off their first NCAA tournament appearance. Carter, how you doing? Great, man. Happy happy with football starting. Uh, spring practice began yesterday, so... Uh... Felt, felt good. First, first action since I've been here. I've uh, been, been here about a month and a half, so it was good to good to finally be out there and, and see what this team looks like. Noticeable buzz around yesterday. I know everybody was eager to hear from, from Jimbo Fisher, and we'll certainly get into that. First time he's held a press conference since Bobby Petrino was hired as the offensive coordinator, since they added a couple transfers in the offseason, in Tony Grimes, Sam McCall, and Tyron Smith. Now, Tyron Smith, Jimbo Fisher shared, is weighing whether to stay at AM or go back to UTEP, which is not ideal. It does happen at times in transfers where guys kind of, you know, change their mind and 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 have a tough time adjusting to to a new surrounding. So um certainly not something you want to see, but we'll uh, we'll continue to track that. Um as you mentioned, first practice, first time out there uh getting to see a lot of guys just what was your impression and what were some of your big takeaways in the in the short window got to see them well the obvious disclaimer you always have to use is okay it's practice number one they're not wearing Mm -hmm. pads they're only wearing helmets there's no contact so it's really just a first impression game right like it's just okay who looks bigger who who looked fast who who kind of catches your eye right and this was my first practice I ever got to watch of, of A&M. So, you know, I didn't really have the frame of reference with A&M, but I did have the comparison that I could make with what I've seen at Notre Dame and Florida State, two different schools that I've covered, uh, two different schools that in the years I covered them, they all had at least a 10-win season. So they were, these are great teams we're talking about. And really the thing that just jumped out to me right away is just the size of this team. You know, I, I talked about, hey, these are 10-win teams I've covered, but they were not as big as this team. Like, getting to see that defensive line in person with Walter Nolan, McKinley Jackson, Shamar Stewart, all these guys, like, I was just, whoa. I mean, the way that these guys moved, it was really impressive to see. Walter Nolan was was number one for me as far as the guy who jumped out to me the most on defense. Um, don't know how accurate the weights are that they list on the online roster, but last season he was listed at 320. Right now he's listed at 285. So 
you know, if you did the math, that's 35 pounds of a difference. That's, that's a lot of weight that he lost. And you could see it looked to be very quick, looked to be very fast um, when he was working through position drills. Another guy that stood out to me on the offensive end is Donovan Green, the tight end. You'd think that after what he showed last year, showed a lot of flashes, that he can really step up into a featured role this season. And, again, online roster, we don't know if the weights are entirely accurate, but it seems like he's gained 15 pounds since last season. I thought he was supposed to be a little bit on the smaller end, but when I saw him in person, I thought, this guy's way bigger than I imagined he'd be. He's 6'4", 250. And just looked like a guy who could dominate a game physically. It uh, just looked like a guy who was one of the better athletes on the field. So those are kind of the two guys on both sides of the ball that stood out to me. Beyond that, some concerning stuff as far as depth. Uh, wide receiver, they, they only got seven scholarship guys on the roster. Linebacker, they're too deep, is full of early enrolled freshmen. Offensive line, they couldn't even have a three deep. Uh, they're so light at the position uh, and cornerback. They've only got just a, a tiny handful of guys scholarship wise that they can rely on. Uh, I was walking past the cornerback and safeties yesterday and there was a lot of guys that didn't even know who they were because there were so many walk-ons in that group. There was about seemingly like 30 people in that group and like 18 of them were walk-ons. It seemed like the majority of them were, were walk-ons. So, like, there is some depth that certainly needs to be addressed with this team. I don't know if they're going to have enough players to scrimmage and do a lot of, you know, uh, competitive settings three deep. But uh, on the front lines, on the starting lines, you've got so much talent all over this roster, from the D-line to the starting receivers to the, some of the running backs they've got. There's a lot of talent. It's really just the depth that concerns me. But Dan, I think you, you know the linebacker. We've we've kind of hammered that point home about you know that's one of the positions. If you talk about later the spring and where A and M still needs to address, I still think it's linebacker. I know they're still talking to a couple of guys and and could potentially add to that room. They've got until the summer to to really do that. And so I wouldn't be surprised to see them continue to add to that room and. It was good to see when you you talk about the secondary, Bobby Taylor, a guy out there moving around, has battled injuries the past two years, um, had a nice one-handed grab yesterday at practice. Um, you know, that's a guy I think A&M really needs to kind of take that step forward in, in his second year. And then you mentioned, you mentioned size and, you know, to already see Torian York and Damian Sanford, you know, Torian York, from 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 the online roster measured in a 220 Damian Sanford already put on t 10 pounds and and was measuring in a 220 as well I think those are encouraging numbers and and we'll see how those guys continue to progress during the spring I know as you mentioned the first it feels like the first couple of practices for freshmen it's like you know their heads just swimming and in information and things move really fast and you know, I remember talking to a source last year whose whose kid was a, a freshman, and he said, "Man, like I, I, things move really fast you know, up at this level as a as a as a as a freshman." And that's kind of what these first couple of practices are about. And A&M will be practicing on basically a, a half field when they go to Kyle because of of the uh, construction that's going on inside of Kyle Field. So 
Um, that is one thing. At least, you know, the spring game is going to look a little bit different this year. You mentioned, yeah, Walter Nolan looked great. Um, good to get Gabriel Brownlow Dindy out there as well. You know, he obviously got hurt last year in the Under Armour All American game. Was looking to see how he was kind of moving around and and looked to be moving really well. Um, you know, switching gears obviously to the other big storyline, and this this felt like it kind of dominated a lot of the questions in the in the press conference. What was your read on on just all the you know Jimbo Fisher, Bobby Petrino stuff? I know there was there was you know, a lot of focus on that and the play calling and all that stuff during the the first press conference. Man, I'm telling you, it seemed like such a sore subject to to Jimbo Fisher. It it was almost like bringing up an ex-girlfriend or something because anytime Bobby Petrino was mentioned in that press conference, someone that we hadn't asked him about all off season, uh, this was really our first opportunity. Um, Very short, very contentious and a lot of non-answers. I felt like we came into that press conference with questions about a lot of things related to the changes that have been made since last season and the direction of the program. Uh, And I didn't feel like I came away with that press conference with a lot of answers and a lot of encouragement either. There there was a lot of uh, just – weird answers and for an example that they asked about the play calling who was going to take over that Jimbo at first said well you know we'll figure that out or something like that and then we'll go he through said, it as, oh, we, we'll go we'll through through it as, as we, go. we go and then after that he's like oh yeah Bobby's gonna take it and I'm like are you sure about that because you know I, I feel like if that's a definitive yes you would have just said yes and I think that's the intention of him. He wants that to be the case, but he doesn't want people talking about it. He doesn't want that to be a key storyline. The first question he was asked was about how the scheme has changed, how the offense has changed. He was very defined about, hey, we're not talking about scheme. Like th- th- that has nothing to do with what's happening. This is all about execution, which is a, is a word that, has become infamous around the, the, these parts, but um, yeah, it, it just seemed a like dig he is a did dig, not, right? And- a dig is a dig. He he just didn't want to talk about the subject. Uh, unfortunately for him, it's all anyone wants to talk about around here because after last season, I uh, think it came very clear that the offense needed to make some changes and and improve in a lot of different ways. Uh, so we'll see if he'll warm up throughout the off season. Um, but that was our first talk with him in three or four months. And I never seen anything quite like that. Usually you see that when a coach has a brutal loss or, you know, one isolated question that might be unfair or someone doesn't like, you know, they'll have kind of that sassy uh, retort, but it was the entire time from the first question I didn't think anything was particularly unfair. So I was I was a bit caught off guard. Again, that was my first Jimbo Fisher press conference. Um, I have watched others in the past, so it's not like I don't have any frame of reference. But, uh, you know, I get it when it's in the season and it's five and seven and all that. But to kick off the spring, it was a little bit of a surprise. Yeah, and I think I will, I will say, you know – it was a weird answer where he kind of said, you know, we'll, we'll see, we'll go as it goes. And, you know, we'll, 
we'll go through that as we go, as he said, and then and then said, yeah, the plan is to you know have Bobby Petrino call plays and and do all that. I did think it was encouraging. Again, this is only in the short window that was really available to the media, but it did feel like Jimbo was kind of hands off and letting Bobby yeah. Petrino work with the quarterbacks and 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 you know work directly with Connor Wigman and was not, you know, many have kind of noted he wasn't as vocal as as maybe, you know, he usually is during a practice. So I think I think it's one of those things like there's 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 two sides to a ride. Like it obviously I didn't I, I don't think from a fan perspective made anybody feel at ease. I do think the flip side of that's encouraging that, you know, at least he was letting Bobby Petrino be hands off and maybe that's just the way it's going to be. Maybe it's just going to be a subject that, you know, he kind of isn't, isn't maybe overly excited about talking about and, and kind of wants it to go on his business as usual. But if things go smoothly on the practice field, I think that's, that's, that's all that's really going to matter in the long run. And, and you're right. I think part of it too is like last fall, he just got week after week. It was about, are you going to have a new play caller? Are you going to have this? Are you going to have that? And I think he kind of came to the spring and it started from day one. And maybe he thought like they were going to be moving on to kind of a fresh slate with Bobby Petrino there and was just like, Hey, we're not, we're not doing this again. I did this. <laughs> I did this all of last fall. Yeah. And, and took those questions and was obviously yeah. under a lot of heat. And, you know, you, you listen to fans and fans still are, there's going to be pressure on this A&M team until they hit the fall, until they start winning games. And, and that's just the reality. Yeah. When it comes to what I observed in practice, um, again, you know, I mentioned some of these other programs I've been to, like usually the head coach, unless they're very, very, very involved, they're they're trying to see everything in practice. They're trying to look at all the different positions and trying to chime in. And and even the offensive minded coaches will do that. I mean, I can recall watching Brian Kelly at Notre Dame and Mike Corvell at Florida State jumping around position to position while they let the quarterbacks coach or offensive coordinator kind of be the one that was training and like legit teaching the quarterbacks. And for the most part, that's kind of what I saw. Um, started off right from the get-go Bobby Petrino was kind of teaching the quarterbacks doing certain drills they had one drill where they had to be like flat-footed and throw the ball there was one drill where they uh kind of threw it and like had to touch the the ground ground, with one hand yeah uh and these were like stationary targets 10 yards away but you know there was very intentional teaching that was happening and it was coming all from Bobby Petrino And Jimbo was just kind of off to the side. Now, later in the practice, when they started to throw to receivers and and things like that, uh, and still against air, but um, that's when Jimbo started to get a little bit more involved. But uh, So Jimbo wasn't the one doing the teaching, but he was kind of still focused on the quarterbacks for the most part. And so it, it was different than what you typically see. I think my question is, you know, I can buy in to the notion that Bobby Petrino is taking over play calling. I can buy into the notion that he is going to be the one primarily working with the quarterbacks. My question is what happens if things don't go well? Because Jimbo is noticeably hurt or bothered by all that has gone on and what he has been basically 
had to do this offseason with getting Petrino and giving up play calling. But if it doesn't go well, he may feel inclined to say, okay, well, I got to meddle with this. It's like, it's not working. It's my turn to take over play calling. It's my turn to work more closely with the quarterbacks because whatever we got going is not working. You see it all the time at the college and the NFL level where things don't go well. I mean, you know, the Cowboys, uh, things didn't go well with Kellen Moore this year. So they got rid of Kellen Moore, and now Mike McCarthy is in charge of play calling. And that was after Mike McCarthy gave up play calling for a few years. Um, it happens everywhere. When things don't go well, the next step is, well, okay, we got to change this key aspect to it. They, they did that this offseason. But if that doesn't go well, they may go back to it. So, you know, I see a lot of chatter about like, oh, no, this is for sure happening. And I'm, I'm like, okay, I can buy that. But let's just see how it plays out because – the fact that he's not willing to give a definitive answer yet to just say yes, like, yes, he's taking play calling. Yes, I'm completely content with me giving this up. It tells me that there's this little wiggle room in there where if things don't go well, he may want to take over again. No, no doubt. And we've talked about this before on I'm just I don't think we're going to truly have an idea of if this is going to work or if this isn't going to work until the going starts getting tough in the fall and you lose a game that you shouldn't have lost or the offense is struggling and what kind of happens then? I think that's going to be, that's going to really be the telltale sign. And and when things go, don't go according to plan, that's going to kind of be the telltale sign. And the, the other one, I think the final one that we got to touch on is that I think people were kind of perplexed and confused about was, was his answer about the offensive line. And look, the offensive line is going to be a concern, I think, throughout this, this you know, throughout the spring because there's a lot of injuries there. You know, we had kind of talked about Hunter Herb being a guy that was probably going to be out for the spring, was told in January that he's recovering from some offseason surgery. And so, um, you know, the expectation was he wasn't going to be available the spring. Trey Zoon, Bryce Foster is obviously with track, Matthew Wyckoff. Um, just a couple guys missing there that, that gives, makes you a little uneasy about the depth. Jimbo was then asked about Steve Adazio being brought back for another year and kind of said, well, he's a good coach. Like it was, it was a bad year last year, but, and he certainly kind of didn't shy away from that part, but just said he's a good coach. And I think, I think a little more, you know, to your point, right? Like, a little more explanation, like, well, you know, I've, I've seen him in, in this sort of setting and, you know, I've watched him coach for years and, you know, these are the things that went wrong in the offensive line last year. And, and maybe like a little more opening up on just the introspection about what went wrong, I think would have given people more clarity about the decision-making process to have Steve Adazio come back because that's another just major question mark for A&M this year and that, and that, that position group's under a lot of pressure. I wanted to wait until I kind of saw the group with my eyes and, you know, there's a couple different positions you can be a little concerned about linebacker, cornerback, those positions you're more concerned about the depth with the offensive mm -hmm. line. I'm concerned about everything, the coaching, the starters, the depth, the tackles, all of it is bad. And I, I cannot stress enough how 
screwed of a position A&M is at right now with its offensive line. And it's no surprise. You look back at Florida State with Jimbo Fisher, and they had incredible position players, uh, skill players. They had incredible defensive backs and, and defensive players. But the one, the one thing that they never had, for the most part, was offensive line. And it's always been a weak point throughout Jimbo Fisher's career, and it's become a weak point again. Uh, 2020 was the one year where you felt like that was a really good – I mean, that was an elite offensive line. And it was a but, veteran group that kind of had been together for a little while and clicked. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought they were one of the best three offensive lines in, in all football. But, my goodness, how much they have fallen since um, – I don't have confidence in really any part of the offensive line right now because, first of all, you don't have any depth. They didn't have enough players to fill a, th- a third-team defense. Um, they don't really have great tackles. Um, I think Ruben Fathery, you, you like what he's able to do but uh, sometimes, but like, I don't think he progressed the way you wanted him to last year. Trey Zoon didn't progress the way you wanted him to. Uh, the backups seem very far from being capable starters. And then there's just injuries all across that offensive line. And there's no help coming up from the trenches. Uh, or There's no help coming up from the, the, the pipeline. And, uh, and then you just – I can't talk enough about the injuries. It seems like almost all of the <laughs> offensive linemen uh, struggle with injuries. And – I just look at that group and I say, my gosh, this is a group that will be playing a walk-on before we know it in November with, with the concerns they've got injury-wise and depth-wise. Um, I just have no confidence in them. I think it's the worst position group on the whole team. And then you couple that with the coaching. I don't think Adazio showed anything last year to inspire much confidence. Uh, so... I probably said a little too much there, but uh, I'm telling it's, you, man, it's the it truth. Is concerning. It's it's the group, you know. I I still think that Ruben Fathery comes with like that, you know, that prototypical size. That, that I I agree with you in the sense that he, you know, had a really good freshman year. I think he really grabbed hold of that position and played well and yeah. and stepped in and and brought some stability. And then last year just didn't really take that next step that you thought he was going to be able to take, you know, this time last year we were sitting there thinking this offensive line returns, Layden Robinson returns, Bryce Foster returns, Ruben Fathery yeah. could return, you know, you know, a guy like Jordan Spasovich Moko, you know, Trey Zoon was a guy that there was a lot of optimism about what he would be able to do. And sitting here a year later, there's just so many questions. There's not, there's not, well, and and Cam yeah. Dubery's a guy I still feel pretty good about. But aside from that, like, you know, there's just I like not, me some Dubery. I yeah. Dubery Dubery was Dubery was a big time bright spot last year, but missing your top two centers in spring ball is not that's not yeah, ideal. Like, and what what this offensive line unit needed this spring is they needed health and continuity. Okay, if you're healthy and you bring everyone back for the most part and you can gel, I mean, a lot of that happened with the 2020 offensive line. They were not good for like in 2018 and 2019, even the very beginning of 2020. You remember that Bama game. They got whipped. And 
they just gelled and came together and they had started so many games together that it clicked and they had this chemistry and they had this like crazy. And, and it's not like a ton of those guys are in NFL. No, Dan Moore is, so he's, he's with the Steelers now, but like those guys, it just, it was like a chemistry thing. And, and they were also freaking huge. That was one of the be- biggest offensive lines in AM history. But, but this team, they needed the continuity. They needed the gel. And you thought, okay, well, all these guys are coming back. That's a great thing, right? But yeah. now you're on Remington Strickland and, and as your starting center this spring. And you're on uh, Demetrius Crownover at left tackle. Uh, you're, you're starting with Moko at left guard instead of Dewberry, which I, I kind of question a little bit, but – Moko does yeah. have the experience and he does have the potential. He just got, has to stay healthy. Um, but I look across that board and I say, man, there's no continuity there because of those injuries. And this is the spring is what they needed. They needed a spring where they could gel together. And now they're not going to have until at least preseason camp to where they can gel. And, and that, that gives me some concern at the start of yeah, the season. Yeah, especially early in the season. So key thing, they're going to have to, they're going to have to stay healthy and, it's going to be a position group that we we kind of keep a close eye on heading through the rest of the spring into fall break. Um, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna switch gears a little bit after a, a quick break and talk a little basketball. Uh, Man and basketball did fall in the first round of the NCAA tournament to Penn State, and as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, is now turning their attention towards the offseason. We're gonna we're gonna kind of look at that after a quick break. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast 
Welcome back into the Gigam 24-7 Sports Podcast. I am Andrew Hattersley, joined by Carter Carls. Carter, uh, I guess one way to put it, disappointing end to a to a really successful basketball season. Um, you know, you you were obviously out in in Des Moines for the game. Impressions of what you saw and kind of what went wrong there. Yeah, I don't want to take away too much from uh, the season that they had. I truly thought it was one a season to remember for A&M, at least a regular season to remember, just with the way they battled back. And I, I thought Buzz Williams really did deserve SEC Coach of the Year. Uh, it was good to see him uh, win that. But uh, that team we saw all season was not the team we saw against Penn State. Uh, they yeah. just played entirely different. They were heavily reliant on the three. They didn't get to the free throw line, and they didn't get anything at the rim. Uh, and that is totally against the formula they have used all year of getting the line, attacking the rim, not shooting that many threes. So um, offensively, I didn't really know what I was watching. And then defensively, I just couldn't believe the game plan. Uh, you looked at this team. I, I was joking with a friend. It kind of reminded me of like the Cavs with LeBron where you got this one ball dominant Beast and, and Jalen Pickett, like, like LeBron. Uh, and then you've just got a bunch of perimeter guys that he kicks it out to. Um, and that, that was their formula. Was they had Jalen Pickett bring it into the paint. And depending on what Adam's defense did, that would dictate his decision-making. And, man, did, did he have an incredible game, as did Andrew Funk, who, my goodness, he went thermonuclear uh, on the Aggies. But uh, – What I didn't like about the game plan is they switched one through five pretty consistently. And, you know, I'm no genius when it comes to basketball, but you could clearly see how much they were taking advantage of that and hunting certain matchups. Wade Taylor being the one at the beginning of the game. And that's really what killed A&M early on. Wade Taylor picking up two early fouls, having to be on the bench for the most of the second half really took the offense out of rhythm. I mean, you think about the first eight minutes of the game, and it was a pretty close game. It was like 13-12. But once they got Wade Taylor in foul trouble, you know, it it became this offense that can't do anything and this defense that anytime it gave up anything, it just felt like a dagger in the heart. It just felt like every three that went in was a dagger uh, because they couldn't find much offense. So – they're hunting those matchups, and it just worked to f- perfection for them because Pickett could get matched up on a guy who couldn't guard him as well. And then if A&M doubled him, boom, here's kicking it out to a guy that can't miss. Uh, certainly they got them in rotation a lot, and uh, A&M's defense just looked all out of sorts. And you know, I was hoping that they would uh, adjust. I was looking forward to seeing, okay, they come out in some sort of zone. Do they like they mix it up with the switching? It didn't seem like they changed that much. I mean, they they started to pressure them full court for a little bit at, toward the uh, you know for majority of the second half, but that wasn't working either. And it just felt like Penn State had every answer and was was a step ahead of them. And so um, it was definitely unexpected. I, I don't think anyone can sit here and say yeah, Penn State was going to win that game by 17. Um, But I also think 
you have to recognize Penn State is a dang good team. They took Texas toe-to-toe. I think Texas is capable of making the Final Four. Uh, and Penn State shot awfully against Texas. Andrew Funk regressed to the mean against Texas, and they still almost beat them. And so as much as this loss had a lot that you can pick and pry and say, good gosh, what, what was the game plan? What was this? What was that? It's still an awesome season. And, yeah. you know, I get it. Like, I, I think you have to be a little bit in the middle. Like, some people will tell you, oh, this is why Buzz should be fired because it's only one tournament in four years and da, da, da. I'm like, okay, did, did you see what he did in the regular season at all? You know that this is the second SEC coach of the year that he's won in four years. Like, that's pretty dang awesome. Um, but on the other side, this talk of, well, let's give him a raise. I'm saying, okay, did you guys learn anything from Jimbo Fisher? Like, don't overreact yeah. for a year. He's already paid a lot of money. Um, and it didn't, it, it didn't very badly. So, you know, you can always just do nothing. You can always just sit there and, and let him get paid, you know, the ninth most in the country. Uh, I don't think he's going anywhere. So I think after a season like this, you do feel disappointed. You do feel like things need to get better from a recruiting standpoint. Absolutely. But let's not overreact. And let's remember that this was a pretty good season for Texas a and Yeah, no doubt. And you, you, you talked about, you know, he's got two more years in his contract. I think you can kind of let it play out, see how next season kind of goes, see if this team can kind of take that step forward and, you know, any it, it's one of those things that happens in the NCAA tournament. They're not the they're not going to be the last team, and they certainly weren't the last weren't the only team in this tournament that had a bit of a clunker and got and you know got got beat pretty good. It, it happens in the NCAA tournament. Every team in there is is pretty good and in there for a reason. It's not easy to get into the NCAA tournament. And when you have a team like Penn State that has shooters like Funk and Lundy and some of those guys that that get hot and, and kind of exploit matchups and they could exploit a matchup with, with Jalen Pickett and, and Wade Taylor, this can happen. It can, it can happen. This is a team that, you know, was playing, was playing in the finals of the big 10 tournament as well on their end. They were also came into the tournament red hot. Yep. And uh, you know, I think going to the, towards the off season though, I do think there's areas of this team that can get better. And the first one for me is, is outside shooting. This team has got to add an outside shooter. Give me the three-point shooting. Yep. <laughs> Give me the three-point shooting. And it's like when you look at this team and, and of the guys that they've reached out to in the portal so far, I feel like they do kind of realize, you know, okay, we may need to add Noah Fernandez is one that, that they've reached out to. Good three-point shooter. That's a guard. And, um, you know, if you can add more outside shooting – when things aren't going well or a team is playing you a certain way, you can play that matchup. And people asked about Hayden Hefner. They need more. They either need more from Hayden Hefner or they got to find somebody else that can kind of be a solution there because he's averaging less than a three per game. And he's not giving A&M the lift that they need from the three-point shooting perspective. And, you know, I know everybody says, well, they need to add size in, inside. And the truth of the matter is Julius Marble and Henry Coleman was a pretty good front court duo this year. And, and A&M was able to muscle up a lot of teams and, and got a lot better on that front. 
I still think they need to get better in defensive rebounding, though, and they still need to get better. Maybe add a third guy that can kind of take that step forward. And you're going to get step forward. You know, you've got another couple of years of Anderson Garcia. You've got Solomon Washington, who had a really good freshman year and can now kind of take that step into the, the sophomore year. I think this team is building in the right direction. They've got a lot of pieces coming back. I wouldn't expect outside of maybe some guys on the bottom of the bench to to maybe go look for other opportunities. You're going to have a lot of guys back next year. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, I mean, we talk about how the season ended and that being a disappointment. This easily could have gone another way. I mean, I just look at where Missouri was. They could have played Utah State and Princeton their first two games. And we could be talking right now about how they're going to Sweet 16. So you never want to overreact to just one isolated game. But you do see the obvious holes on the roster that can improve. I think you're the one who said uh, you wrote that the three-point shooting in four years at Texas A&M that Buzz Williams has been there, they haven't been better than uh, 251st in the country. I mean, that's a lot of teams. Uh, I don't know know about you, Andrew, but 250 is a lot. Uh, That's a lot. Yeah, I I think that is – the biggest concern to address. You love the backcourt that's coming back next year. If Radford indeed comes back, you've got two all SEC caliber players. You're looking at the Dexter Dennis three role, right? The the small forward kind of uh, role that you're filling and you want to fill it with a sharp shooter. Um, I do think another big man would be a good thing. They don't desperately need it. But, like, as much as I liked Coleman and Marble and Spots last year, I felt like they faded toward the end of the year where you'd have a lot of these games where they just couldn't rebound and they couldn't take over a game. You'd see Marble occasionally take over. Maybe against Penn State, took over the first five minutes. And then long stretch of the game, you'd say, man, where are these guys? Yeah. And so if they can get – a really solid big man. I saw the guy out of Wyoming's in the portal. Uh, they, they get a really good big man. Uh, those guys, I think as role players, they're awesome. Like Anderson yeah. Garcia as a role player is awesome. But if you're making them your number one guy, it can, it can be a concern. And, and that's not to say they can develop. I mean, I think they showed a lot of great things this year. But if you can get a proven, like, 15, nine uh, averaging big man. I think you go get that guy just because I think rebounding and just the easy buckets uh, could be, could be really valuable for this team. No doubt. I mentioned on the board, somebody, somebody kind of joked about, you know, he was the guy they need to go after. And I do, I will have later this week, some, uh, some portal names that I think are intriguing and guys to at least, kind of look at and I, I joked yeah he's he's right at the top of the list don't you worry he'll be on the list he'll be on there <laughs> he uh so be sure to stay tuned for that he'll be on there some other guys you know miles stute is kind of an interesting guy out of vanderbilt AM got a good look at him earlier this year lit them up for 22 points season high 22 points had seven threes in that game almost single-handedly won that game in college station i think seven you know, threes kind of a stretch kind of a stretch guy like 
man, he's a guy that that you look at and you're like, okay, that's the type of guy that if you can add a, add somebody like that, um, it's a good ad. So um, certainly going to be an interesting off season, and we'll we'll be sure to have you guys covered um, over on Gigum twenty four seven and here on our Gigum twenty four seven Sports YouTube page as you know spring practice gets rolling, baseball gets into conference play. Um, look at a rebound from a series loss to LSU. Um, there will certainly be we'll be diving in a lot more to that now that they're into to SEC play. And uh, be sure to stay locked in on on, on the Gigum Twenty Four Seven Sports YouTube page and on our Spotify and iTunes. If you like our content, be sure to give us a, a five star review and and subscribe to the channel. It, it'll give you a notification every time a new video or podcast drops. And so until then. Uh, We'll see you guys soon. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.